I'm going to be honest with you. This past month, for whatever reason, uh, I can't really pick it out too much, but for whatever reason has been a tough month. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had those months or those weeks or however long it may have been that you have struggled uh, with finding joy in the Lord. Uh, This past month was one of those for me. I understand you, you look at me and you say, well, Joby, you've got an REV in front of your name. You're a reverend. Uh, you spent four years of intensely studying God's Word. You should never have those moments in your life. But, but I'm here to tell you, four years that I spent in seminary, some of those years were very tough. They were very difficult. And it was one of those things where all of a sudden the studying of God's Word became academic to me instead of something that I should enjoy and something that I should embrace. Now, I would encourage anybody who wants to go to seminary to go there. But at the same time, it was tough. In this past month, I had been struggling with finding joy in the Lord. And ultimately, I had been struggling and even spending time in my Word. I kept on putting things in place of it, uh, whether it was a a football game or whether it was a a movie or whether it was time spent on the computer just looking at Facebook and all the posts that go on there, whatever it may have been, I just found time to spend in other places than in the Word. And ultimately, that affected my joy. And it was tough for me. It really was. Because about this same time was when Brian came up to me, and uh, he said, Joby, I was wondering if you would like to preach on September 7th. And I said, okay. I said, I- I'll do that. And he said, Joby, uh, you can actually preach on whatever you want. And I said, wow, I don't have to preach on submission on Mother's Day. That's awesome. And so here I have the opportunity to preach whatever I want. And I began to think about it, and I said, you know what? I- I'm struggling. I am really struggling with what to preach on. I might just have to pull something out of my filing cabinet. I might just have to pull something out of all the years of seminary that I had all these sermons and just preach on something uh, that I have there because I, I really don't have anything right now because I hadn't been spending time in the Word like I should. And so it was a struggle for me and a battle. And then all of a sudden I began to think, you know what, I don't, I don't even know if I really want to preach on September 7th, but the boss man asked me, so I got to do it, right? And so it was a battle for me. It was a struggle. And so I began to think to myself, I said, what is it that is causing me to lose my joy in the Lord? Maybe I need to look up and see what joy in the Lord really is. And so I began to do a word study on it. I began to look at it, and I began to hear and listen to different podcasts, and I began to read different commentaries, and I began to just study it to try to help me to understand and get my mind wrapped around what's going on here and why I'm losing that joy. So in all of that, I landed here in Nehemiah. I know you're thinking to yourself, well, that's a strange place to land, but that's where I landed, and I'm going to explain to you why. I've got five observations about joy that I want to tell you today that I've learned from Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9 through 12. So before we get started, as I always like to do, I like to give you a little bit of the context, because I'm pretty sure none of you have spent time reading in Nehemiah this past week, most likely. So I want to give you just a little bit of context because the cry of the exegete is context, context, context. You've got to understand the context so that you can help to understand the Word, obviously through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. So therefore, let me help you to understand just a few things about Nehemiah and where we're coming from. Look with me, if you will, in verse 9 of chapter 8 of Nehemiah, page 404 in your pew Bible. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, And the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. So here we have Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah ultimately wrote the book of Nehemiah. It's pretty simple, it seems. He also was the governor. He basically was the second in charge to King Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer of the king. That means he had a very important job. That job meant that anything that got fed to, drank by the king, was passed through him first. And so therefore, if anybody tried to poison it or lace it with anything or kill him, ultimately he was going to be the one tasting it first to make sure that he didn't die so that the king wouldn't die. Well, you've had to have somebody who was very important and someone you trusted very, very much to be in this position. Because obviously they could find ways to, after it passed by you, to get to the king. So here is Nehemiah, who ultimately is a Jew. And the king is the king of Persia. So we can see here where he is, high, he is holding a very high place here for somebody who is not even a Persian. But at the same time, what you've got to understand is that Jerusalem has been ransacked at this time. The walls have been destroyed. The southern kingdom of Judah, which is where Jerusalem is, had been captured by the Babylonians. They had come in and they had torn down Solomon's temple and they had torn down the walls. And then we see where the Assyrians ultimately tear down the northern kingdom of Israel. And the reason that this had happened is because ultimately the people had turned their backs on God. They had had some time of prosperity in their life. And so they said, you know what, God? We don't need you anymore. We're going to start doing things our own way. We've all been there before, right? We're comfortable with our lifestyles. We've got what we need. We don't need you, God. So therefore, we're going to turn our back on you. And so what did God do? God gave them over to the Assyrians and to the Babylonians. And so what happened after they got ransacked, after their walls got destroyed? Some of the people in Jerusalem got taken. The Jews got taken as captives. And then ultimately, the Babylonians were overtaken by the Persians. And so we can see here, that's where we're at right now. Nehemiah, who is in very close contact with the king, has asked to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls. He's very saddened by the fact that his city and that the temple does not have walls. Because ultimately, walls were everything back then. It was your protection. It was your livelihood. People could come in all the time and just ransack and take whatever they want whenever they wanted. So he wanted to go back, and the king of Persia at the time allowed him to do it. So you've got three people who played major roles in the rebuilding. You've got Zerubbabel, and you can remember this, Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple Okay, That's how I've always remembered it. And then you've got Ezra, and then you've got Nehemiah. Now Ezra and Nehemiah, ultimately, right behind each other, they're basically the same book. Why they split them up, I don't know. It's a discussion for another day. But now you have Nehemiah who's gone back and he's rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. And they've done it in a very short period of time. And so they are rejoicing because of these walls being rebuilt and because of the Word of God being read to them. So let's look now at five observations about joy that we can find in Nehemiah. The first one that I have, and let me stop there just for a second before I even begin with this. Let me help you to understand and to define what joy is, because I think that will help us in this study. Joy, ultimately, when it's broken down, when it's at its simplest, when it's at its root, is grace recognized. Listen to that. Joy in the Lord, and I'm saying joy in the Lord. There are other types of joy we may find, and we're going to talk about that, but this is joy in the Lord is defined as grace recognized. Isn't that amazing? 
when you finally take the time to recognize the grace that God has done for you, that God has bestowed upon you through the sending of His Son into a fallen and lost world, to sinners who didn't deserve it, that's you and me, who ultimately turned our back on God, gave God the finger and said, you know what, we don't need God anymore, we can do things our own way, right? Same thing that happened with Adam and Eve, same thing that we inherited. But God in His grace and His mercy sent His only Son to live a perfect sin-free life and to take on ultimately the sins of the world. And then ultimately Christ was crucified on the cross, as the majority of us know in here. He died, he was buried, raised from the grave on the third day, thank goodness. That's what we just got a picture and a symbol of up there in baptism. And when he was raised from the grave, he defeated hell, he defeated Satan, and he defeated sin. Couldn't hold him down. And so ultimately, every past, present, and future sin in our life, if we put our trust and our faith in God, has been defeated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the grace that you recognize. That's what brings you joy. And that's what I was struggling with this past month. Because I had not been reminded of that grace within my own life. And so look with me, if you will, here. Five observations about joy. Now that you sort of know what joy is, let's look at these observations. The first one. The joy of the Lord is not the joy of temperament or circumstances. Let me say that again. The joy of the Lord is not the joy of temperament or circumstances. Let me give you some examples. I know that we have some people in here that have this predisposition to be real happy and bubbly and excited about stuff all the time. But then we also have some people in here that are our Debbie Downers of the world, our negative Nancys, or our Eeyores from Winnie the Pooh, the wah-wahs, right? We have those people. And what we've got to understand is that the joy of the Lord is not the joy of temperament. You've got to understand that when you have the joy that comes from the Lord, it doesn't mean that you're going to be bouncing off the walls. But it does mean that you're not going to be the negative Nancys and the Debbie Downers and the wah-wahs of the world all the time. And all of you laugh in here because you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know those people. You can probably pick them out in here. And so you've got to understand that when you have that joy, when you have recognized that grace within your own life, now all of a sudden that should bring you a joy that is much greater than anything that the world can bring you. And maybe you're not bouncing off the walls, but at the same time you're not sitting here talking negative about everybody. You're not sitting here talking behind people's backs all the time. And we've all been there, I understand that. I've been there plenty of times. But when you've recognized the grace that God has bestowed upon us, all of a sudden it changes that temperament. I mean, just think, if we're supposed to be a light in a very dark world, but yet we act like the Debbie Downers and the negative Nancys, just think of what type of witness that is to those that you come in contact with each and every day. Whether it's your co-workers, whether it's your family members, whether it's your friends who are non-believers, They're looking at you. They're putting your life under a microscope. And they're saying, if that's the way that Christians act, then I want nothing of that. One of the biggest reasons that people don't want to come back to the church is because of the way they get treated while they were there. 
You should have joy because of what Christ has done for you. And you should not allow your temperament to affect that. The joy of the Lord is not the joy of temperament or circumstances. I want to give you an example of this. Think of Paul in prison in Rome. I just want to read you a couple of verses that Paul wrote while he was in prison in Rome. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It's just in Philippians 3.1. We're going to go back to Nehemiah, so keep your fingers there. But Philippians 3.1, it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and safe for you. And Philippians 4.4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. So here Paul is. In a prison in Rome, probably this vile, nasty, disgusting place, he's been put there for no good reason, and ultimately he's sitting in that prison, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he's talking about rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. How many of you in here allow your circumstances to dictate the joy in your own life? How many of you in here woke up this morning and you really didn't want to have joy in the Lord? You really didn't even want to come to church, but I live in the South, so I have to because it's the Bible Belt. And maybe my business will flounder if I don't because I'm a Christian business, whatever it is. Or maybe I'm tired and I don't really want to go, but I know my friends will see me at church, so i got to go because they're going to talk bad about me if I don't. But you really were struggling with your joy. And you're allowing your circumstances to affect that joy. You've got to understand, Paul, man, he was zoned in. He was focused on his mission. Even in the midst of the fact that he was in a terrible place, and he knew he had been treated badly, he knew he had been beaten, he's still allowing himself to have joy and to tell the church at Philippi to rejoice. Again, I say, rejoice. Many of us, if we were in that same situation, this is just an example of probably what that letter would look like, like, man, I cannot believe this government. I cannot believe the president. He would do this to me. He should be worrying about the ISIS or something instead. I mean, can you believe this? Man, and just going on and on and on. That would be your letter if you were in his situation. That would probably be mine, honestly. But we've got to understand the joy that we should have and the fact that we have recognized the grace that God has given us. So the joy of the Lord is not the joy of temperament or circumstances. That's number one. Number two, the joy of the Lord comes out of true repentance. Let me repeat that one. The joy of the Lord comes out of, to, of true repentance. Let me say this statement, and this is a true statement. There is no joy without repentance. Let me say it again. There is no joy without repentance, period, exclamation point. Faith and repentance, they go hand in hand. Joy and repentance, they go hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other. The reason I was struggling with my joy was because I was struggling with my repentance. Let me just give you this picture of what repentance is. And some of you may have heard this before, some of you may have not. But ultimately, if you're walking in one direction towards your sinfulness... If you're walking in one direction towards your idolatry, towards serving the things of this world, whatever they may be, dot, 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 repentance is a picture of you going 180 degrees in the exact opposite direction that you were walking and walking away from your sinfulness. So not only does it need to affect your mind and your heart, but it's also got to affect your actions as well. 
There's got to be some type of action that takes place within that repentance. Because if you're walking in this direction, and you're worshiping Satan, and you ultimately are a child of Satan, then you've got to turn away from that and get back on the path of righteousness and start worshiping God. So that's what a picture of true repentance looks like. And there's no way that you can restore your joy in the Lord if you do not have that. Nehemiah 8, 9. Look with me there. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 9. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. So Ezra, the priest and the scribe, he got up and he read the words of the law, the words of Moses, from dawn until midday. And so the people are hearing the words, their Bible of the day, they're hearing it in their ears. And now what are they doing? They are mourning and they are weeping. Because why? Because the first time in a long time, they have realized that they had turned their backs on God. And now God has allowed them to go back to Jerusalem, to go back to their temple, to go back and to rebuild the walls. This is a sign and a picture that we can see here of repentance in their own life. Because right after this in chapter 10, there's prayers of confession. And then right after that, or my bad, that's in chapter 9. In chapter 10, we see where they set the covenant back up with the Lord. And so we can see this repentance taking place in their lives right before our eyes. So the joy of the Lord comes out of true repentance. Number three, the joy of the Lord comes from properly understanding God's Word. If you want to recognize the grace in your life, you've got to know who God is and you've got to understand His Word. Period. One of the ways that God reveals Himself to us is through His Word. The other way is through the things that He has created. So if you want to have joy in the Lord, you've got to properly understand God's Word. Look with me, if you will, in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12 now. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 12. It says, And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. Why did they make great rejoicing? And ultimately that word rejoicing is the same word that we see for joy. Why did they do that? Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So Ezra, as he's standing up there, telling them the words of Moses, they begin to understand those words, and they begin to weep, and they begin to rejoice because they understand them. So the only way that you can recognize grace, the only way that you can have joy, is if you understand the words of Scripture. And the only ways that you can understand the words of Scripture if you have the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning in your life. Because without the Holy Spirit, there's no way that you can understand the words of that book. It's foolishness to you. It's stupid to you. You might as well use it as a doorstop 
if you're not a Christian, but it's because you could care less about it. Because you've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in you to even be able to understand it. So the joy of the Lord comes from properly understanding God's Word. Number four, the joy of the Lord is joy in God Himself. Let me say it again. Number four, the joy of the Lord is joy in God Himself. I know sometimes we find joy in our health. I know sometimes we find joy in food. Go to Mama June's right after this and you will see that happening. I know sometimes we find joy in the beauty of God's creation. We find joy in our relationship with loved ones. We find joy in our possessions, such as homes, cars, computers, guns. We're in the South, right? And we've got to understand that ultimately joy in the Lord is joy in God Himself, period. So many times we allow our possessions, we allow the idolatry in our life to be our focus, to be what we're putting first. Or maybe, let's take it to the other extreme, maybe we've had something bad happen in our life, and yes, you need a time to grieve, I understand that. But at the same time, you've got to understand your position in Christ and what Christ has done for you. And guess what? You've got to sooner or later begin to move on from it. So many of us, of us struggle when we have bad things that happen that we just continue to stay in that state of grieving and we never get out of it. You should have joy in the Lord. Yes, you should take time to grieve. And that's okay. It's okay to cry. Jesus wept. I understand. But we've got to make sure that we understand too that we have a position in Christ that should bring us great joy and we can't continue, as we talked about earlier, to be these people who are always just down on themselves. You've got to begin to keep your mind on the things above and on the fact that Christ one day will return and the hope that we have in that. And you can't just continually let yourself get beat down because of the fact that you are struggling with idolatry or because of the fact that you're struggling with something that has happened in your life or whatever it may be. You've got to move on from that. You've got to be reminded of what Christ has done for you. So the joy of the Lord is joy in God Himself. A lot of times in this, we like to put our joy in what I like to call the cotton candy pleasures of the world I don't know how many of you have ever seen cotton candy. Probably all of you. It's about yay big. It's usually a pink or a green or a blue or whatever color it may be. And if you go to the Auburn football game, it's about $5 or a baseball game or whatever. And by the time you grab that thing and you begin to shrink it down and shrink it down and shrink it down, it's really about that big. You can just pop it into your mouth. It's a bunch of smoke and mirrors, is what I like to call it. That's about all it is. There's a bunch of fluff there. There's a bunch of air there. There's a bunch of paying for nothing there. That's what happens when you begin to worship and you begin to put your joy in, and it's a temporary joy, in the things of this world. You've got to understand, church, Perimeter Road, that God created us for one reason, that was to commune with Him. That's why He created us. 
When you get away from that, guess what? You will never find true joy. Ever. The problem is, is that the world feeds us these lies and Satan feeds us these lies to make us think that, ooh, cotton candy. I got to have that. I want that. That's going to bring me a lot of joy. Next thing you know, by the time you pack it all down, pop it into your mouth, it's gone, right? That's just like any of these things that I named. It's there one minute, gone the next. And so many times we'll get lost in those things where we've got to have another one and another one and another one. And ultimately it never fulfills us. So you've got to understand that the joy of the Lord is joy in God Himself. Not in the cotton candy pleasures of this world. Not in idolatry. Not in your health. Not in food. Not in the beauty of God's creation. But it's in your relationship. Not in the relationship with loved ones, but ultimately it's in God Himself. That's number four. Number five. The last one. The joy of the Lord is not at odds with holiness. Let me say that again. The joy of the Lord is not at odds with holiness. Look with me, if you will, again. Nehemiah chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 9, 10, and 11. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 9, 10, and 11. It says, And Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Verse 10, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is what? Holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Verse 11, So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is what? Is holy. Do not be grieved. Whenever you see that repetition within Scriptures, remember, that is like an exclamation point. That is like us bolding it, underlining it, whatever. We see that holiness and joy are not at odds with each other. You must be consecrated. You must be set apart to have that joy. And remember, I said also, you cannot have joy without true repentance. So they all run hand in hand. You know, so many times in our society and in our lives, we see all these stories and we hear all this stuff of, of, of whether it's a, a movie star or a, a sports athlete or whoever it may be, and the life that they live, whether it's um, MTV Cribs, I don't even know if that's even on anymore, but whatever it is, we look at these things and we think, man, that would be awesome. That would be amazing if I had that, and if I had that lifestyle. That would be amazing if I was living with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and I had kids already, and I had this house, and I didn't have to worry about making any money or anything. And then all of a sudden we get caught up in that and thinking that's what we need. But ultimately, you've got to understand, they are at odds with themselves. The majority of them hate their lives. That's why they see the need to take it. The majority of them can't stand who they are. Because ultimately, they have no joy. 
and they have no joy in the Lord because that is at odds with holiness. They are not consecrating themselves and setting themselves apart for the Lord. And so therefore, there's no way that they could have joy in the Lord. Remember what Solomon said? It's all vanity, right? It's there one minute, it's gone the next. Solomon was richer than any guy that's ever lived today. He made Bill Gates look like a chump. And yet he was the one who said, you know what? All this is nothing compared to my relationship with the Lord. Go back and read it. Number one, let's review. The joy of the Lord is not the joy of temperament or circumstances. Number two, the joy of the Lord comes out of true repentance. Number three, the joy of the Lord comes from proper, properly understanding God's Word. Number four, the joy of the Lord is joy in God Himself. And number five, the joy of the Lord is not at odds with holiness. I hope and pray that you understand today that we all struggle, myself is included in this, with joy in the Lord at times. And we all struggle with truly repenting of our sinfulness. And so therefore, there's no way that we could have joy in the Lord. But when you begin to recognize the grace that God has given you in your own life and what He has done for you, all of a sudden it begins to bring that joy back. And it causes you and you yearn for that repentance and that turning away from that idolatry. But make sure that you're putting joy in God Himself. Make sure you're spending time in the Word. Make sure you're not allowing your temperament or your circumstances to cause you not to have it. Make sure that you're holy and that you're repenting. Some of you here today, you don't even have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of you here today, you don't really know what true joy even is because of that. And so my hope and prayer for you today is that you would put your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone today. And that you can begin to understand what it looks like to find joy in the Lord and how that is your strength. And those of you that are Christians in here today, I pray that you would repent of your sinfulness. And we all need to do that in our lives. Every single day I need to do that in my own life. And that you would turn away from that idolatry, from the cotton candy pleasures of this world, and that you would begin to start living for the purpose that you were created. Because when God created you, guess what? He didn't create you to have a lot of money. He didn't create you to have a lot of things, even though those things, there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, He created you to glorify Him, to commune with Him, to hang out with Him. And when you're not doing that, guess what? Your joy has been lost. And guess what else has been lost? Ultimately, your strength. That strength to fight against Satan. That strength to fight against the temptations of the world. And so therefore, I pray, those of you that are struggling right now with your joy, that you would run back to that fountain, that everlasting fountain of the Word of God, and that you would bow your knees 
to the one true Father today. We're going to have an opportunity today uh, to respond to the message that we've just heard. There'll be some pastors here in the back. If you need to talk to us, you can come back there and talk to us. If you need to pray, the altar is always open for that as well. But I hope and pray that you'll be reminded that there is no joy without true repentance and that the joy of the Lord ultimately is your strength. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much uh, for the words of Nehemiah. We thank you so much, God, just how you have shown how excited and, and happy and joyful God's people were when they came back to your word and when they were able to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, God, when they decided that they weren't going to turn their backs on you anymore, but God, they ultimately were going to serve you and to love you in all that they do. God, I pray that you will help us to run to you today, God, whether it's through prayer or whether it's through the studying of your word, God, I pray that you would help us to bow to you today and worship God. And that, Lord, we could restore the joy, the eternal joy, the everlasting joy that ultimately only comes from you, God. And I pray, Lord, that all the people out in this congregation that may be struggling with this joy, that may be struggling with getting in your word, God, that you would help them to rest in your grace. And you would help them to be reminded of your grace today, God. Because when they begin to recognize that grace, God, ultimately they are experiencing joy in their own life. I thank you so much for this day that you have given us, God. I thank you so much for the people that are willing to be here, God. And I pray, Lord, that you have used your word today to cut through their hardest hearts. We thank you for this day, God. We praise you. We pray this in your son's precious name through the power of the Holy Spirit and by the grace of God. Amen.